Well, if you have your Bibles with you one more time, I invite you to turn with me to the first book in the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 22. If you're using a pew Bible, you'll find it on page 1051. We've been working periodically through the Gospel of Matthew, and we're picking back up this morning where we left off in the beginning of Matthew chapter 22. And I want to speak for a few minutes on this subject this morning, what to wear to a wedding. Matthew chapter 22, and we'll begin reading in verse number one. And this is what the Word of God says. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off. One to his farm, another to his business. While the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops, and he destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. All of us at one time or another have asked, What am I going to wear to this wedding? For many... That question is answered with a shopping trip and the purchase of new clothing and jewelry and especially new shoes. And as we come to this parable, we find a guest who failed to wear the appropriate attire for the occasion. This is the third parable in what is often referred to as Jesus' trilogy of judgment parables. And it's given in response to the Jewish leader's rejection of Jesus. It is the most dramatic and powerful of the three and finds its parallels in the Gospel of Luke chapter 14. According to Matthew chapter 21 and verse 45, the Jewish leaders perceive that Jesus is telling the parables about him Yet their hearts remain hardened and grow even harder. They are seeking to arrest him, and Matthew says, but for the fear of the crowds, they leave him alone. 
For three years, Jesus had been preaching and teaching the gospel of the kingdom, which included proclaiming himself as the Messiah, the Son of God, and the Savior of the world. He had been offering himself in his kingdom to the people of Israel, his own people, the chosen people of God. But at the end of those three years, all but a handful of Jews had rejected him. And although Jesus had always been popular with the masses wherever he ministered, their acceptance of him, for the most part, was superficial and selfish. And therefore, as he continued to engage these religious leaders in the temple, it was not only to the leaders, but to the multitudes that were listening that this third judgment parable was given. And while this parable is pointedly aimed at the religious leaders and all of unbelieving Israel, it also has far-reaching significance and application for every generation, including our own. Friends, all of us need to hear this parable. All of us need to hear this invitation of God the Father. One day soon... He is going to provide a wedding feast for his son. And until then, his invitation to this feast goes out far and wide. And if you neglect it, if you reject it, if you think that you can attend on your own, you will be unprepared and you will miss this feast. This parable is a story of patience. A story of grace, a story of indifference, a story of rebellion, a story of anger, a story of pride, and a story of salvation. And through it, Jesus shows us what we need to wear to this wedding feast. So would you notice with me, first of all, in verses 1 through 4, the invitation The Bible says, and again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. And again, he sent other servants, saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. You'll notice that in these verses at the outset, Jesus compared the kingdom of heaven to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. Now, a wedding feast in the culture of the ancient Near East was inseparable from the wedding itself, which involved a week-long series of meals and festivities, and it was the highlight of all social life. And for a royal wedding, such as the one in this parable, the celebration often lasted for several weeks. The wedding feast that a king prepared for his son was the feast of all feasts. Therefore, Jesus was picturing in this parable the most elaborate celebration that any of his hearers could imagine. Now, it was the custom of the day to issue an initial invitation to the wedding feast, which would have already been responded to by the invited guests. And then, 
When the dinner and all the preparations were ready, a second invitation would be delivered, summoning the guest to attend. And this is what takes place in verse 3, when the king sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast and who presumably had already indicated their willingness to attend. But notice verse 3. Jesus says they would not come. Now notice, he didn't say they couldn't come. He said they would not come. And because of their refusal to come, in verse 4, Jesus says that the king sent other servants, saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. And like the parables of chapter 21, where in the first one son turned back on his promise to go to the vineyard, and in the second, the tenants of the vineyard refused to pay the agreed rent to its owner and instead killed the owner's servants. So now, those who have initially covenanted to attend this feast have changed their mind, and they have refused to come, and they have rejected this final invitation. Notice carefully in these opening verses of this parable, Jesus is clearly referring to the Jewish people to whom God sent his prophets and to whom God sent his son to invite them to come to his table. And no matter how many invitations God gave them, for the most part, they refused to come. J.C. Ryle in his expository thoughts on the Gospel of Matthew, powerfully describes the importance of God's invitation that we see in these verses. And he says, There is in the Gospel a complete provision for all the wants of man's soul. There is a supply of everything that can be required to relieve spiritual hunger and spiritual thirst. Pardon, peace with God, Lively hope in this world, glory in the world to come, are set before us in rich abundance. It is a feast of fat things, he says. All this provision is owing to the love of the Son of God, Jesus Christ our Lord. And he offers to take us into union with himself, to restore us to the family of God as dear children, to clothe us with his own righteousness, to give us a place in his kingdom, and to present us faultless before his Father's throne on the last day. The gospel, he says, in short, is an offer of food to the hungry. It is joy to the mourner. It is a home to the outcast. It is a lovely friend to the lost. It is glad tidings. God offers through His dear Son to be at one with sinful man. This, friends, this is the power of God's gracious invitation to people like you and me. And just as the people of Jesus' day needed this invitation, you and I need this invitation. God, by His grace, is inviting you to His table to feast 
in the riches of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, in this parable, we not only see the invitation. In verses 5 through 7, we see the response. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. And the king was angry, and he sent his troops, and he destroyed those murderers, and he burned their city. You'll notice in verses 5 and 6, Jesus says that there were two responses to the invitation that was given. First in verse 5, some responded with indifference. Look at what the text says. They paid no attention and went off, one to his farm and another to his business. Charles Price says, it is often not bad things which take us from Christ. It is the arrangement of values that allows other legitimate things to become more important to us and more demanding of us than the summons, the invitations, and the interests of Jesus Christ. And how well do we, do we know the truth of that statement, friends? How many times have you and I found ourselves distracted, not necessarily by bad things, but by good things that choke the life of Christ out of our priorities, out of our family, and out of our life? And that's what we're seeing here in verse number five. These indifferent guests were preoccupied with daily living and personal pursuits. They were so consumed with themselves. Look at what Jesus says about them in verse 5. They paid no attention to the repeated invitations of the king to stop their daily activities and attend the feast. They willingly and purposefully forfeited the beauty, the grandeur, and the honor of the wedding for the sake of their everyday, mundane, self-serving endeavors. They were not concerned about the king's honor. They were only concerned about what was best for them. And you'll note in verse 5 that these first group of respondents, they weren't antagonistic to the king and his son. They were just indifferent. They had no time for him. They had no time for his son. And in spiritual terms, they were consumed with the here and the now. And they had no room in their lives for the eternal. That's why J.C. Ryle said, Open sin may kill its thousands, but indifference and neglect of the gospel kill their tens of thousands. Multitudes will find themselves in hell, not so much because they openly broke the Ten Commandments as because they made light of the truth. Christ died for them on the cross, but they neglected him. They were indifferent towards Jesus. In verse 6, we see the second response. Jesus says that others miss the feast not through indifference, but through utter rejection. Look at what he said in verse 6. They seized the king's servants. They treated them shamefully, and they killed them. 
These people scorned the king. They rejected the invitation of the king. And they abused and killed the king's servants. And in that day, contempt for the king's servants demonstrated contempt for the king himself. And in mistreating and killing his servants, they committed a flagrant act of rebellion against the king. And in this response, Jesus is clearly referring to God sending all of the Old Testament prophets to his people. He was referring to God sending John the Baptist. He was referring God sending his own son, Jesus himself. And he was referring to God sending the New Testament apostles. All of them sent to his people, where time and time again they ignored them. They rejected them. They persecuted them. And in some cases, they killed them. And yet, what did God do? In His mercy, in His patience, and in His extravagant grace, God, in spite of their indifference and rejection, continually, willingly, called Israel again and again to Himself. But they refused to come. And in verse 7, Jesus says that when the king heard of the people's rejection of his invitation. Look at the text. He was angry, and he sent his troops, and he destroyed those murderers and burned their city. In the culture of that day, an invitation from one's king not only brought honor that you had become an invited guest of the king of the land, but it also brought obligation. And it was a serious offense to ignore or to reject an invitation from the king. And so Jesus says in a swift and decisive act in verse 7, the king destroyed, notice, both those murderers who killed his servants and he destroyed the entire city. And Jesus was referring to what would soon take place to the city of Jerusalem in 70 AD when it would be completely destroyed by the Romans. Now I want you to listen carefully to this statement, friends. If you reject the king, if you reject the king's son, if you reject the king's servants, And if you reject the king's invitation, all that is left for you is wrath and destruction. And that is what Jesus shows us in verse 7. I'm going to quote J.C. Ryle one more time. It was too good not to quote him. And in this quote, he speaks to those who would read verse 7 and see the wrath and the judgment and the devastation that is brought about by the king, or for the purposes of this parable, the wrath and the judgment that will come from the hands of God the Father on all who reject his son and say, this is not fair. God doesn't have a right to do that. Because you may be thinking that this morning. And this is what J.C. Ryle would say to you today. There is nothing wanting on God's part for the salvation of sinners' souls. 
No one will ever be able to say at the last that it was God's fault if he is not saved. The Father is ready to love and receive. The Son is ready to pardon and cleanse guilt away. The Spirit is ready to sanctify and renew. Angels are ready to rejoice over the returning sinner. Grace is ready to assist him. The Bible is ready to instruct him. Heaven is ready to be his everlasting home. One thing only is needful, and that is the sinner must be ready and willing himself. Let this also never be forgotten. Let us not quibble and split hairs upon this point. Listen, God will be found clear of the blood of every lost soul. The gospel always speaks of sinners as responsible and accountable beings. And the gospel places an open door before all mankind. No one is excluded from the range of its offers. And though it is efficient only to believers... Those offers are sufficient for the whole world. Oh, friends, on the last day, if you stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, not ready to meet Him, it won't be God's fault. It'll be your fault. You will have been given every opportunity by His patience and His mercy and His grace and you will have been found guilty for rejecting his invitation and for rejecting his son. He is the sovereign God of the universe. And every single life is in his hands. And he is not guilty of anyone's blood because he sent his son to shed his blood for you. And so I ask you this morning. Have you responded to God's gracious invitation? Or are you, like the people in this parable, indifferent, consumed with the here and the now, with no thought for eternity? Maybe you're here and you're bored with the gospel. You're bored with church. Paying no attention to it because somehow it seems irrelevant to your life. Or maybe you're like others in the parable who are hostile to God's invitation. Maybe you find yourself trying to push God away and keep Him at a distance in your life. Maybe you would even find yourself like those in this parable. And if you had the opportunity, you would abuse and kill God's servants just like they did. Oh friend, don't you see this morning? That God has done everything that is needed for your salvation through His Son. And He is inviting you this very moment, this very second, this very hour to come to Him. And all you have to do is properly respond to the invitation that He is giving. Well, we not only see the invitation and the response in verses 8 to 10... We see the second invitation. And Jesus says, Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. 
and the wedding hall was filled with guests. Notice that after dispensing his righteous judgment, Jesus says that the king, in verse 8, turned to his other servants, and he summarized everything that had taken place, saying, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Notice the language. They were not worthy of the feast. Why weren't they worthy? They were not worthy because they rejected God's gracious invitation. And here's the reality this morning, friends. None of us are worthy of God's invitation. What makes us worthy is simply saying yes to Jesus Christ and resting in His perfect life and His sacrificial death and His victorious resurrection. But Israel refused to come. Israel refused to believe. Israel refused to recognize Jesus. And because they rejected God's Son, God rejected them for a season. That's why in verse number 9, the king will tell his servants to go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. Go out into the community, into all the main roads, and every person that you find, invite them to the feast. And this is exactly what the Apostle Paul declares in the book of Romans that the prophet Hosea prophesied that God would do with the Gentiles like you and me. And in Romans chapter 9, verses 25 to 26, this is what Paul writes. As indeed he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. God rejected his people for a season and he turned his attention and his servants and his messengers with the gospel to the Gentiles, to the rest of the world, to people like you and me. And this is exactly what Jesus will command his disciples to do just before he ascends back to heaven. And in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19, this is what Jesus will say to them. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Go out into the main roads and invite everyone that you run into to come to this feast. And notice in verse 10, what these servants do. Jesus says that those servants went out into the roads and they gathered all whom they found. Notice the text. Both bad and good. So that the wedding hall was filled with guests. Oh friends, this is good news for people like you and me. Both the bad and the good get the invitation to come to this feast. And the guests that fill the wedding hall, they represent everyone who does not deserve a place at the table. And yet God invites them anyway. Jews and Gentiles, young and old, rich and poor, the ordinary, the extraordinary, you and me. All of us are invited to come. And as this parable shows... What makes a person worthy of salvation is what has always made a person worthy of salvation. 
faith in God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So that all who turn from their sin, all who turn from their rebellion, all who turn from their pride and their wickedness, and all who trust in Christ, not only as their Savior, but as their Lord and their Master, and all who would follow Him with their lives, anyone who would be willing to turn from their sin and trust in Christ and surrender and follow Him with their life, anyone who would be willing to do that can have a seat at God's table and feast with His Son. Well, we not only see the invitation and the response and the second invitation, finally, we see the removal. Now, you need to pay attention carefully, friends. Like most parables, the end of the parable is the most powerful. And that is true in the case of this parable. And there is a severe warning and application that takes place in these final verses. So note verses 11 to 13 with me carefully. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? Notice his response. And he was speechless. And then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot. Cast him out into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In verse 11, Jesus says that when the king came into the wedding hall to look at the guests, he noticed something. He saw a man among all the guests who did not have a wedding garment. And though the king's invitation, you will recall, was widely extended to both the bad and the good, there was an expectation with this invitation that everyone who attended the wedding feast would be wearing the proper wedding garments. Therefore, so as not to insult the king, the guest could not come to the feast the way they were found and invited. They had to be cleaned up. And they had to have on different clothes. And the wedding garment that Jesus is referring to here was not a special type of garment, but rather it was clean clothes, preferably white clothes, which would normally be worn on a special occasion. And can't you see the picture? Here in the midst of this feast of all feasts, this greatest of all celebrations among all of the myriad of guests, one man stood out because he was dirty and not wearing the right garments. And the king noticed him. Spiritually speaking, what is the wedding garment that Jesus is referring to in this parable. It's simple. Jesus is referring to himself. He is referring to being clothed in his righteousness. He is referring to being clothed in his goodness and in his perfection. 
that his father provides freely to everyone who receives the invitation that he gives to come to the feast. The prophet Isaiah understood it, and he described the garment this way in Isaiah chapter 61 in verse 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. Notice the text. Who did the clothing? God clothes the ones he saves. God gives the garments of salvation. And Isaiah goes on. He's covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. That's how God clothes those who receive his invitation. Paul said it this way in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27. For as many as you who were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. That is the wedding garment. You are clothed in the righteousness and the perfection and the goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are changed by Christ when you come to Christ because you have no goodness. You have no perfection. You have nothing to offer God that entitles you to come to the feast. The only way you can come to the feast is to be clothed in God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Isaiah will say in Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 6 that all of our righteous deeds, all of our so-called good works, all of our so-called actions that we think make us more acceptable to God in God's sight, they just look like a bunch of filthy shop towels. That apart from Christ, God sees nothing good in you. That's why you can't come to the feast Unless you come clothed in his son. So in verse 11, Jesus says that as the king was looking over the guest, he saw this man. And this man, unlike the other guests, listen, he was proud. He thought that he could be different from everybody else. He thought that he could make his own arrangement with the king. He thought he could come to the feast on his own terms. He thought he could dress any way he wanted and he would be accepted. And I want to remind all of us this morning, friends, ever since Adam and Eve sinned against God in the Garden of Eden, Eden, in every generation, man has been trying to come to God on his own terms and in his own way, thinking that he knows better than God. And this parable pointedly shows, listen, it pointedly shows that trying to come to God on your own terms is a fool's errand. And in the end, you will not make it. You will be exposed. And you will be cast into eternal judgment. Listen. Listen to your pastor. You come to God on His terms or you don't come at all. That is the truth. And so in verse 12, the king, he says to him, and listen 
to the compassion in the king's voice. Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And the fact that all of the dinner guests except the one man were dressed in wedding clothes, listen, it indicates that the king provided the garments that were needed to be worn. Because he is a gracious and patient king, what he required of his guests, he provided. And because God is a patient and gracious God, what he requires of you to enter his feast, he provides for you in his son, Jesus Christ. And this man, he was fully accountable to God, to the king, for being improperly dressed. But the king, in his kindness, gave him an opportunity to explain himself. And look at the text. Look at what he says. He was speechless. There was nothing he could say. There was no justification for his actions that would change the situation. Listen, this is the same language that the Apostle Paul uses when he wraps up his indictment of sin on the human race in the book of Romans. And in Romans chapter 3 and verse 19, this is what Paul says. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. Listen, so that every mouth may be stopped. Some translations say so that every mouth will be silenced. Jesus talks about it in Matthew chapter 7 towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount. In verses 21 to 23, he talks about on the last day, the day of judgment, there will be people who will stand before him, being judged by him. And he will give them an opportunity to speak. And they'll say something like this, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not do mighty miracles in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? And Jesus will look at them and say, depart from me. I never knew you. And they won't be able to look back at Jesus and say, but Jesus, you're wrong. But Jesus, I have an excuse. I have a justification. I can change your mind. No, the authority of the word of God says on the last day of judgment, those who are without Christ will stand before Christ and they will be silenced. There will be nothing that they can say. It'll be too late. As a result, the king said to the attendants in verse 13, look at it. Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. For in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do you see what happened? The man was permanently expelled from the presence of the king. He was bound with his hands and his feet so he could not resist the judgment And he was sentenced to eternal darkness where he would experience unending weeping and gnashing of teeth in complete darkness. Now listen, if you've zoned out on me this morning, 
zone back in. And I want you to listen to this reminder. Because if you reject what I'm proclaiming to you today, one day you're going to stand before Christ and you're going to remember this worship service. You're going to remember this moment. You're going to remember this sermon. And it'll be too late. So here's my reminder this morning. It is possible, as this parable shows, to fellowship and to celebrate with those who are dressed for the wedding in this life. Only to find out in eternity that you are thrown out of the wedding hall forever. There will always be false professors of Jesus Christ in the church until Jesus comes again. There will always be that. And so it is possible for you to never have turned from your sin and confessed it in repentance to God and trusted in Christ in His life and in His death and in His burial and His resurrection for your salvation and nothing else. And how you know you've trusted in Him is your life has changed and now you're following Him and you're living for Him. And your marriage is different and your family's different and your parenting's different and your work is different and your attitude is different and your life is different. That's how you know. No change, no Christ. And it's possible for you to come to church. It's possible for you to sing the songs. It's possible for you to read the Word. It's possible for you to listen to sermons. It's possible for you to enjoy the church and never be a part of the church. That's what this parable is warning. You could come your whole life And miss it because you've missed Christ. And final judgment will reveal the true wedding guests. And there will be no deception on that day. God will perfectly and righteously and justly discern who belongs to him and who can have a seat at his table. And friends, to seek a seat at the table of this wedding feast on your own is to be cast into outer darkness forever. Notice how the parable ends in verse 14. It's the point of the parable. Every parable has a point, and verse 14 is the point of the parable. Notice it. For many are called, but few are chosen. What's he talking about? Well, in a very simple and yet profound way, Jesus not only summarizes the point of the whole parable, he emphasizes both the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. In the parable, you'll recall, invitations were sent out to many people. But the parable tells us that few of those who heard it were willing to accept it and be counted among the chosen. And Jesus is teaching us that the gospel invitation is given to everyone, 
But the reality is this morning, not everyone wants God. And many who say they want him only want him on their own terms, in their own way. And so those who have a seat at the wedding feast are those who have heard God's gracious invitation. And they've responded to his invitation on his terms. And those who are excluded from the feast are those who have heard his gracious invitation, but like the many in the parable, they've rejected it for one reason or another. That's why I can say to you this morning that God is absolutely sovereign, and through this sermon, he has sent his gracious invitation out to every single person in this room. And some will hear it and receive it and believe it and come. And others will reject it and walk away. Many are called. Few are chosen. So I ask you this morning, are you ready for the wedding feast of God's Son? Have you heard and received God's gracious invitation to believe? Or are you distracted this morning and asleep? Have you put on Jesus Christ? Are you dressed in your wedding garments? Are you walking with him? Or will you be speechless before him on the last day? God the King will have a bride for his son. And his guests have been called and chosen from all the tribes of the earth. His invitation has gone out to the good and the bad. And for those who come in faith, clothed in the righteousness of Christ, there is a seat at the table for the wedding feast. But for those who reject the invitation and for those who come trusting in something other than Christ, there will be the judgment of outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for all eternity. And I say to all of us this morning, may the, the point of this parable ring loudly in our ears forever. Many are called, but few are chosen. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you for your word that it is alive and active and sharper than a two-edged sword and that it pierces us. And we pray today that your word would do just that, that it would pierce our souls, pierce our hearts, pierce our minds and show us where we really stand with you. And we pray today by your sovereign goodness and grace that any in this room who don't know Christ as their Savior, that you would draw them to yourself through this invitation. And that you would change them today. 
for your glory and for the good. We pray for the brokenhearted today. That you would help them in the midst of their pain to feast on the riches of Christ as a foretaste for what they will one day experience in glory. Oh God, we pray that you would use your word to build your church and your people and your kingdom for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.